You guys may not know this, but I had a podcast in the past, and it was a fun thing to do, but it was a challenge to get my podcast to all the locations where everybody listened to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the such were just a lot of work to manage to get everything where it needed to be. Now, though, I found Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors too so that you can get paid to podcast. How awesome is that? Honestly, I'm really happy to find Anchor again because I love podcasting. I love talking about what I do and sharing with you all the things that I like to do as well. So if you're interested in starting a podcast like I am, go to anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start and join today for your free podcast and become part of the community. I can't wait to hear what you put out on anchor.fm slash start. Hey everybody, welcome back to Elevated Office. This is season two, episode 16. I cannot believe it, man. I can't believe I have two seasons out here. But today with us, we have somebody I've actually wanted to have on the episode for a while. We actually talked about it. Can you believe we've known each other for two years, Levi? Yeah. It, uh, it all started with the, the lemon of a chipper I sold you. <laughs> and that thing wasn't a lemon. Actually. Well, not, we, not, we knew each other before then. Yeah, because I found you. It, it was a really weird story. We'll talk about that a little bit here in, in a little bit, guys. So Levi Conrad is our guest today, and he is a arborist, your I, uh, ISA certified arborist, correct? Correct. And yeah. he has a unique aspect of work that he's in. So we're going to talk about that. But before we get to talking to him, we are going to mention our sponsors for this show. First off, we have Weaver. You look right behind me. If you're watching the video, you will see the new cavern bag by Weaver. It's a new gear bag that they're putting out. Thing is really, really good. WeaverArborist.com is a sponsor of the show. Go by Check out WeaverArborist.com. I love the ProCool pads for my spikes. Great products. We have talked about those in the past. I'll talk about them some more in the future. So go check out WeaverArborist.com. Also, don't forget Off the Hinge uh, hashtag is Gap Arborist Supplies hashtag. You can look them up at GapArboristSupply.com. The guys know climbing. They have real-life experience. And when I'm at a little bit of a catch, I don't know what to do. I call Kyle or Ray up and I say, Hey guys, what do you suggest? And not only do they have their own personal experience, but they have experience from all the other guys that are buying from them. And they really know their stuff. They're very personable, very competitive rates. Prices are, are very competitive. Tree climb is a 10% off discount. You buy any order. It's free shipping continental us. Any uh, order over $100 is free two-day shipping in the continental U.S. So go check out GapArborSupply.com. So those are our sponsors for today. And now we're going to get back to Levi. So we're here with Levi Conrad. And what what do you do now, Levi, without going into all the details? Because I, I don't want you to overstep anything like that. But sure. And where do you come from? Yeah, so I'm originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um and which is like a big hub for for tree care there's a lot of uh, i would say that's one of the primary markets to find quality arbor arboriculture mm -hmm. um kind of as a as a side note so but i moved to colorado springs when i was 18 i actually attended bible school and graduated and then i attended business school and did true work to kind of pay my way through both of those um academic establishments and um, when I got out of business school I just decided that uh, I was not ready to leave you know the outdoors I was not ready to leave um, doing tree work and spending time outside and um, for my senior business project I actually pitched a, a tree service that only did pruning work um, my, my senior business school. And, um, after, you know, after I did that pitch, I actually got assigned a, a small team of, of fellow students and we worked on a business plan for this unique, um, 
kind of consulting and uh, pruning focused tree care business. And this was like with just limited exposure to the industry. So there was, there was a lot that I learned later about this business plan that, that dictated how useful it actually was. But, um, but, I, but I started the business. Levi Conrad Professional Tree Care was what it was called and um, ran it in Colorado Springs for four years. And then about a year and a half, actually about two and a half years ago, I pivoted the business to just doing consulting and, you know, had a little bit of production work that basically just came from true risk assessments that I was doing or other consulting work where I honestly couldn't find someone good to fulfill the specifications of say the mitigation of a a high value tree that, um, you know, I was, I was making recommendations to the client to have certain work done and then they would come back after this report was all written and, and they had paid me and said, hey, we loved your report. We can't find anyone to do the work. And that kind of kept me climbing, you know, two, three days a week. That went on for like a year. And then I had an opportunity to come up with a consulting firm that's based in Denver that that strictly deals with um, restructuring of utility companies. So I joined their team about a year, year and a half ago, and I've been working on some projects that are really cool. Unfortunately, I can't really talk about them as a subject matter expert, um, you know, as, as these different utility companies maybe go through bankruptcy, maybe just go, uh, go through a um, self-instigated restructuring or uh, hire this company that I work for to do a third party, third party risk audit of their vegetation management programs. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's a really interesting, um, you know, when people ask me, what do you do? My answer is I'm a subject matter expert for tree related court cases that only involve electrical utility companies. I don't think you can get much more niche than that. Yeah. And, that's pretty niche. <laughs> And so that's been my life for like the last year and a half. I moved from Colorado Springs to Fort Worth here. And um, with the different projects that our team has going on, um, in 2019, I travel an average of 20 days a month. Um, but with, with COVID and just different, uh, the, the nature of, of the, the projects that I'm working on now, I've been able to... Uh, you know, work from home for the last five months here in Dallas or here in Fort Worth. Yeah. Well, uh, COVID's not a great thing for anybody, but at least it, it's given you a little bit of shift and break and stuff. And hopefully you'll get back yeah. to what you did before, you know, and, and moving. So mm-hmm. uh, listening to, to Levi, you guys might be thinking, well, what in the world is Eric having him on the, the show for? Because he can't even talk about <laughs> what he does. No yeah. fears. Me, me and Levi, we communicate really well together, I feel. Um, yeah, I agree. And we, we end up bringing out these unique topics between ourselves. Um, we're, we're different kinds of personalities for sure, but that's actually in our favor. It works really well. And so, so we're both intellectuals in different ways. Um, I have a hard time studying books and things as much as I would like to but it interests me. And I'm always about an observation analysis and, and compiling data to, to sift through and try to make a better assessment of something or better design of something. And Levi does that too. He's just much more, um, from a, from a typical statement, maybe intellectual, you know, traditional, um, I, I would say, uh, am I wrong? Yeah. You like to read a lot and stuff, right? Yeah. I do. Um, but another thing I think that makes our, our friendship really fun, Eric, is that I see, so like, so we had a conversation um, yesterday and to quote Nassim Taleb, who is like a, a really famous Lebanese American um, risk analyst, probably one of the best in my opinion, uh, knowing what is um is far less valuable than knowing how. So, you know, um, 
you know, you may say like, you know, Levi's more intellectual, this or that, but I think when it really comes down to it, useful information, maybe not as, maybe not as articulated as, as, uh, as well, or in less quantity is far more valuable. And that's one reason that, you know, getting out of production, that's one of the biggest things I've missed about production tree work and why I just have so much respect for the community, even though I'm not climbing anymore, I still try to spend time with and connect with the, um, the production arborists that I, you know, cultivated friendships with when I was doing that kind of work, because you can get lost in those books and just slowly drift away from reality, slowly drift away from what's really useful information and just kind of get into what, but lose sight of how. And I think that's like, that's a big blind spot for me. And I'm thankful for people like you for, um, you know, I call you on the phone and, and maybe you're 50 feet in a, in a pine tree and you dropped your handsaw and, and your ground guy isn't there to retrieve it. And you're yeah. thinking about, you know, I don't want to repel and get back up the street. Well, that's, that's a, that's a real problem. And yeah. data, data understates those sorts of, um, of issues that, that, that arborists face every day. And, you know, I used to look at how to allocate a crew of three people, including myself. I owned a very niche, small boutique tree service. And now, you know, I'm looking at vegetation management companies that run in the millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars per year. And there's hundreds of, of climbers, hundreds of, of groundsmen, maybe thousands on, on certain contracts and it's so easy to see those numbers and just totally forget about the logistical difficulties that don't show up on a spreadsheet. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Yeah, and, and not just like a crew logistics, right? Because that's one thing, like getting a whole crew there, getting a whole crew to work in sync. But just those logistics, like you said, on the individual level, like, yeah, you know, and, and it, it makes if it, it, it will literally make or break you, mm -hmm. right? Um, you're either going to figure it out and be an analytical thinker, uh, create a, a solution that's safe and practical on the spot. Or you're going to injure yourself or you're going to give up because of frustration. And, and I mean, in the time that I've been doing this, I've seen guys give up because they found oh, yeah. other work that was just easier. Right. And there's, and there's no shame in that. I mean, if you, if you don't love climbing trees and you don't love the, the tree life, the basically the effort to money ratio, those numbers don't, they don't look very good if you don't, no. if you don't love it. And, you know, I'm thankful that there is, however small, a, um, there is a window of opportunity to make the numbers work. And I think that, you know, our boriculture is held together from the individuals that do love it. And they've been able to, to do well financially doing good work. You know, that the, those three pieces kind of coming together. But, um, you know, to someone that's just looking for a job that doesn't love it, it's not a, it's not a, not a good allocation of their, their energy. No, because it wears you physically. It wears you mentally. And um, I've done a lot of work in the past. I mean, I'm, I'm 39 years old, so I'm not young. I mean, I'm not old, but you know what I mean? I'm not yeah. uh, a spring chicken. And I find that this is out of all the jobs that I've done, probably the hardest physical job yeah. that I've ever done. And it's, it's be, not that every day you're running all day long, but the mental fatigue of the adrenaline of just the danger of just trying to keep everything straight in your head 
of yeah. me trying to do a good pruning job on top of all this. So I'm analyzing the tree constantly, um, keeping an eye on my crewmen, you know, cause I don't want mm -hmm. any of them to get hurt or do something stupid. Um, yeah. trying to manage the clients as a, cause I'm, I'm not quite the niche that you are. I, I'm much mm -hmm. more broad in what I do, but I am a boutique tree service. Mm -hmm. I'm small and I charge substantial prices for what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I really jumped into that this year because I just was going broke trying to help people out and you, you just can't do it. So yeah, you, you know, it is what it is. I, I, you know, I hope the industry can support at some point. I don't really know what it would take, although it'd be kind of fun to, um, you know, throw some ideas at the wall and see if anything sticks. Probably not today, but, um, I hope that one day quality tree care can be affordable at scale. Um, but I think under the current, um, under the current system and just the current valuation that the public has of arboriculture and, and what they value, mm -hmm. it's not, um, you know, it's, it, it's only going to be kind of the, the top 10% that, that value quality tree work and mm -hmm. are willing to pay for it and the arborist is able to have a good life, um, you know, in the current, yeah. in the current system. For, for sure. I mean, with, without a doubt, um, I, I get, I win less bids now for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I make more money because the bids that I win, they, they allow me to do less quantity of jobs and make more money. If that makes sense. Right. At the same time, I'm not trying to gouge. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, understood. take advantage of people, but I, I am a unique pruner in the area and, and I've been fortunate enough to even become recognized with some of my colleagues in the area as being one of the better, mm -hmm. which I'm proud of. Um, but yeah. it takes me a long time to prune a tree where other guys are like, Oh yeah, we'll get all three of those done in a day. And I'm like, huh, you know, I'll be doing good to get one and a half done in a day, maybe one in a day. Yeah. And, and they don't understand the difference, which is a whole nother level that we could talk about, about how, how to, you know, really make money with your tree work by the way you treat your clients. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, that's a whole nother thing, but today, so what, um, Levi and I are going to talk about in, in the main topic is evaluating the risks and potential liabilities that we as a contract climber, a tree service operator, or a member of a tree service company really face. Yeah. And you may not even know it. Right. Um, this is actually a really broad topic in, in its full scope, right, Levi? We were talking about that the other day. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, this might end up being... Um, so I, I don't want to paint myself as the expert in this area because, you know, even though I, I am, I am a consultant, particularly in, in tree risk and the liability that maybe a tree service, a individual or a tree steward, or, um, an electrical utility municipality, et cetera, faces, I've had, you know, I, I didn't really realize this until, you had contacted me earlier this week to, to speak on it, but I've had, you know, uh, I've had tunnel vision regarding this and that, you know, I've, I've worked on these cases and given, um, given my opinion as it relates to the trees, but not spent a whole lot of time thinking about the bigger picture. So I'm not going to be able to really give too many definitive answers on what it means for the individual, but I think, you know, maybe just for, for round one, just kind of raise certain, you know, certain Awarenesses. questions on, on how this could maybe in the future affect our work. My understanding is that, um, so, you know, when I became a certified arborist, I signed some, a document that the, uh, the ISA put in front of me that, that is basically the, the arborist code of ethics or the standard of ethics. And in that, and I haven't, you know, reviewed it in a while, but there is a, um, there is a standard of care 
of being an, an arborist. And, you know, I think a, a question to, to ask is, that's, is, that, is that standard of care, you know, something that could be enforced, um, you know, in a, in a legal proceeding? Um, and then, you know, the answer to that is probably yes, although I think it's, it's very rare at this point. Um, but part of what you do when you're, when you're bidding jobs, and it, it may not seem like this on the surface, is, is there, the homeowner is transferring a level of risk regarding the stewardship of their trees onto you at that point. When they address you, A, as an arborist, they have you maybe inspect the tree and give your thoughts on it. You know, they are in a sense, I mean, they're looking for work and they genuinely, I hope, want to know if the tree is safe or not or, or, or different components, but also they're, they're transferring, they're transferring risk as to, um, you know, as a tree steward, I need to, I I'm responsible for the information that I gather from a professional on how to treat that tree. And when they get, when they get your perspective as an arborist, you know, they're only responsible for what you tell them at that point. And where this plays into different things that I've encountered on a day-to-day -day basis um, is, you know, if you evaluate a tree and you tell a homeowner it's nothing to worry about, you better be prepared to defend that in, in court because you are the closest thing that the law would recognize to an expert on, um, on, that, on that fact. And that plays into, you know, all kinds of tree work. I remember uh, pruning a silver maple back when I was working in Minnesota and um, it wasn't part of the bid. It wasn't part of the work order. And I actually wasn't supposed to be doing any work on this side of the tree, but I saw a big 10 inch DBH dead hung up branch um, over the, the family's deck, or actually it was over the neighbor's deck. And um, even though the homeowner wasn't wanting anything done to that side of the tree, I had to make it really clear that, that I, I saw that and that I, I made other people aware. I made the, the stakeholders of the tree stewards aware that um, I'm recommending that this be mitigated because I feel that it's unsafe and getting that in writing. Yeah. And, and what's interesting about what you're saying to me is that naturally I've done that from the beginning. Like yeah. the crews that I worked with, they didn't always do that. Somebody yeah. came out and said, this is what I want done. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, it'll be whatever to do that side of the tree or whatever. And like there's broken, there's rot, there's mushrooms growing up on the ground and they just wouldn't say anything, you know? And right. the, the challenge here is to know when and how far our responsibility and liability, potential liability goes as a, as an expert or a tree service company or an arborist yeah, or, or whatever, just in, right? anyone that calls themselves an arborist arborist. Once you, you know, take on that badge, there's, there is a liability that, that comes with it. And but here's an interesting. Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, I was saying, but, but keep going. Yeah. So here's the interesting fact about that. The fact that you don't call yourself like somebody I know says, well, I don't call myself an arborist in quotes, mm -hmm. but they're a tree service company and he's the owner. Yeah. Well, he is an arborist because technically according to the definition of an arborist, it's someone who works on or with trees. Mm -hmm. And when a, there's an implied implication there, right? That when a customer or a potential client calls you out for a bid and they're, they're expecting you to be the expert. Right. In that yeah, industry. Exactly. And it's, you know, one thing that's kind of funny and, and it, this actually shocked me when I started working on in the, in the legal side of, of, uh, of trees is that, you know, we use the term arborist within the industry so flippantly, but attorneys don't. That means a lot more to them than I think it does to us. And that was sobering when, you know, when I started basically giving paid to getting paid to give my opinion about trees is, you know, arborist means so many different things. And, you know, it's, it's no secret the ISA certified arborist exam is not that difficult. Um, you know, that, that shouldn't be any secret to 
to anyone. It's difficult enough uh, to create a, a barrier of entry, which is good. But, um, you know, we use that term so flippant, so flippantly, but, but those that really understand the, and this isn't me, this would be like, um, this would be a lawyer that understand the legal aspect of, of trees and maybe has worked on multiple cases that involve tree failures, maybe with property damage or personal injury. They don't, um, you know, they don't have that same level of, of flippancy when it comes to that term. Yeah. And just because you might consider yourself an arborist before they come to you, they're going to ask for credentials yeah. And they're going to ask for life experience because I have heard some cases. Um, I don't know how common this is. You would probably actually know more about this than me. I've heard some cases where somebody in the area had been a, um, an arborist or a tree worker for many years, you know, decades or whatnot, knew the trees in the area very well. There wasn't a local ISA certified arborist in that particular region or, you know, in their yeah. area. And they did call on them because they had a, there was a general consensus that that person was a diligent, educated tree steward, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because we were talking about this, Like we said, this goes to a huge scope that we could talk about for a long time, but today we're, we're talking about us as individuals really in the trees that we work or that we're bidding right? Mm -hmm. Not just the potential. And, and we're going to use that word a lot, potential or possible because Levi nor I are lawyers. We don't know all the legal and we don't claim to. We're, we're, we're not trying to put statutes or limits on this. We're just trying to talk about something that I think at least what I'm seeing is overlooked or just kind of dismissed by many tree service yeah. companies and, and, you know, tree guys, if you want right. to call them that. And I'll, I'll let you go into, um, you know, it sounds like you're leading into a question, but you know, there, I think one of the main reasons that this isn't something that people talk about is because the volume of lawsuits that um, apply to what we're discussing, the legal aspect of just being a, a private arborist, bidding jobs and giving flippant opinions about, about trees because homeowners ask, ask for them and we want to help out because of the low volume of, of, of lawsuits. I think a lot of legal dynamics, I, I suppose, or I, um, I speculate that are, that are in place. I can't say definitively. I think like there is the legal groundwork for, for maybe these, um, these lawsuits to happen, but, but because there's such a low volume of them right now, that's why they're not getting any airtime. And it's like, you don't worry about something that basically isn't a very popular problem to have, but just the way that, that things are going and how arboriculture in the public's perception of what an arborist is, is growing and, and changing so quickly. Um, I think it will be a, a bigger factor in, in the years to come. Yeah. And, and so that brings us to that question that we were talking about, like, what do you, at what level do you say, yes, I will even work on this tree if you're not willing to remove it? You know what I mean? At yeah. what level do I feel comfortable mitigating the tree, reducing weight leverages, um, cutting back to appropriate size reductions that have a better, stronger growth pattern, yeah. you know, versus just saying, I, I'm not going to bid the job. I'm, I'm not even going to, but, but then even if you say, I'm not going to bid the job at what mm -hmm. level, right? Do we have that responsibility to say, I have to give you a document that is somehow registered that I gave it to you. So either a copy of yourself, an email, right? Something like that. Yeah. I think that, email would that, be good. That clarifies that I did warn you that this tree was not just a old tree. And, and so then it goes like for me, um, I, I know the neighborhood you worked in a little bit because I bought the chipper from you and it was right near yeah. your home. Yeah. And some of those people had some big trees, right? Yeah. But it's very mm -hmm. different than the trees, at least from what I saw. And, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm speculating here. Um, sure. the, the trees in your neighborhood seem to be very different than the trees that were like downtown Colorado city. 
yeah. or here in downtown Montrose that are like 80, 90 year old cottonwoods, for instance, that are yeah, completely so, hollow on the inside, right? Siber Siberian elms that are, you know, probably lifting the sidewalk in Southwest Colorado Springs as we speak. Yeah, right. So then, then the question is, it, it can almost get overwhelming. Do I just fold up my company and say, I quit? <laughs> because yeah. almost, I mean, let's, let's be realistic. A good 60% of the cottonwoods that I climb out here are hollow. Yeah. Right. I know that going into it. So they, they hire me to take out the dead and thin the canopy because that's what I recommend. Reduce mm -hmm. the canopy if needed, if there's too many leverages or whatever for what that trunk I suspect or that branch I suspect can handle from rot due to old wounds that were major or whatever. And yeah. then it's like, well, do I even touch the tree or not? Right. You, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it's probably a toolkit that needs to be applied to not just bad trees, but every tree that we work in. Um, and, you know, I think, I think you really touched on it. It's like, you know, sending an email that, that is clarifying, um, you know, we're going to do X, Y, and Z to the tree. And I think it's going to help in this matter, but it is by no means necessarily safe. And, you know, maybe you could have a, have a lawyer give you the, the buzzwords that would kind of protect you. Also carrying a, um, and I can't remember the exact terminology. This is something I learned about when I did track is um, carrying an, ins an insurance policy that would cover say, and this gets, this gets really, really important when it, when it goes into tree risk assessments. Um, you know, you have like a, a scope of what your tree risk assessment, uh, like what it entails, you know, what kind of a time period. And you have this, this sort of legal jargon that you're sending via email that's specifying that you're not, you know, saying that this tree is necessarily safe. All these things are, I think, good practices to even trees that aren't, quote, sketchy. Because, you know, healthy trees fail too, just maybe for different reasons. And, you know, I think one, one piece of advice that is, it's kind of just more of a, a question that will probably open up a bigger conversation is that, you know, if you're out doing, doing bidding work in such a way where everything basically has to go right for you to make money, you're kind of asking yourself to, or, or you're putting yourself in a situation to where eventually you're going to be up in a tree and you're going to see something that you didn't want to see because it's going to screw up the job and it's going to screw up the Been finances. There, done it. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think every arborist has where, um, you know, you kind of have to price in, you have to price in integrity and you have to price in that uh, minimum standard of care that comes with being an arborist. Yeah. So for right or wrong, and I'm not saying that it's right. I, I really, after our conversation, because I've been thinking about this for a while, actually, Levi, and then just so happens we started talking the other day again and mm -hmm. it, it hit right on you. Well, I think, you know, I'm just a diligent person as uh, in general and my mind is, analytical in this sense. And I care about people in general, right? So uh, I'm always worried about the work that I do or don't do and how that might affect human life and, and things around them. And um, so I'm very, I, I commonly tell people, look, I can't guarantee anything on this tree. Yeah. But I really need to go further with that. And I really need to have an agreement inside the bid that I do that they sign both of them saying, look, I understand that Eric can't guarantee any specific outcome of this tree. Yeah. Right. Right. Because who of us haven't had, hasn't had a client say, like, give you a good example, sweet couple, very nice people. They own a machine shop here in town mm -hmm. and they had me come out and do nine trees on their property. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, seven of them were cottonwoods. No, eight of them were cottonwoods. And then wow. there was a large weeping willow. So this weeping willow was oh, man. probably a good 
70 foot tall. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Large tree. And it's hanging over a corner of their house and it's hanging over a very expensive, freshly installed greenhouse. Oh, right. Wow. Yeah. And so four of the cottonwoods are right along the back of the house. And I don't know who's trimmed them in the past or if they naturally grew in just a funky way, but they're kind of flat. They're like fans. They have very little growth coming out on the, what is that? The North and the South side. Oh, okay. Just, That's they grow really interesting. literally like a fan, right? Yeah. Um, there is some growth. Not, not a balanced crown. No, it, there is some growth, but like just to give perspective, North and South, the, yeah. the crown, the branches and leads would grow out 40 foot diameter, you know, wide width, right. um, tip to tip. But on the east and west side, they only grew out like maybe 15 to 20 feet east yeah. to west. So it was mm-hmm. a very unique crown in these trees. And there was a lot of crossing. There was a lot of dense brush from epicormic growth that just flourished too, too frequently and, you know, took off. Um, I didn't see a lot of pruning wounds, though. So I'm wondering if it's not the wind currents that do this to these trees because they get strong winds from the, the east and west like that. Um, yeah. So I had, to, I had to thin them all because when you watched them in the wind, I mean, these things are like the whole tree is moving, not just branches like they should, but the right. whole crown starts to move at one time, right? Yeah. And I did all of those, and I, and I had to explain to them, look, they're cottonwoods, they break, you know. They, I thin them, hoping that wind will come through them better, and it will. I mean, you could watch them now, individual leads are absorbing the energy and doing right. what Ed Gilman talks about being healthy, you know, um, dynamic movements. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel comfortable with them, but at the same time, like these four on the back, they're 75-foot, 80-foot trees, and they're only 20 feet from the house. Wow. Yeah, and it's like um... – I think it's not like a, an actual um, data point in like the track assessment or something like that, but, but a term that get used a lot, used a lot in tree risk evaluation is the sale effect. Yeah. And what you're describing to me is, is literally if a tree resembled the sale of a ship. Yeah. Interesting. I, I didn't know that that was even a term. I, yeah. I tell people, a lot of people say, Oh, my tree looks healthy. What, why do you recommend thinning it? And I'm like, because of wind cell, and that's the term I use for them to understand because those clusters of branches, especially like on ash trees or elms where they bunch over in that arch shape and then they cluster, Mm -hmm. it becomes this leverage point that is so dense. Wind yanks at it and just, it becomes a cell in the wind, right? I mean, it's a, it's a legitimate thing. And, um, so like, Yesterday, I went and did a bid on an ash tree, and mm-hmm. the guy just bought the house. And he's like, I, I need to see what can be done with this tree. And I was recommended you because of specific things. And I was like, okay, well, I'll go look at it. I go look at it. And somebody had topped it at 15 feet. Oh, and okay. so the trunk of this thing is like six and a half feet in diameter. Oh, wow. It's big. So the, well, like it, it was, it was historically top to where it's grown back and there's a weak point or is it, it's short? No, it's, it, it has grown back. It's still not as high as it would have been. It's yeah. only like a, that's, that's really bad. 25 foot tall tree now, 30 foot tall tree now. Right. Yep. But it, in, and all the growth on it is probably 15 years old mm-hmm. approximately. Um, but what did happen is all the branches that they left that were like 22, 25 inch branches leads coming off this trunk are all hollow. I mean, to the point where you can look through one wound and see out the other side of the branch. Right. Yeah. And because yeah, it bad. was hacked like that, it just flourished this massive brush on the end that is all now like six, seven, eight, ten 10 inches in diameter, depending. Yeah. There's Leveraged no, over. There's no remedy for that tree at right? this point. So he asked, well, what do you recommend? And I said, well, I won't even thin it. 
yeah. I recommend a full removal. Yeah, and I think, you know, coming back to some of the the legal aspects of being an arborist, um, you know, it, what makes it extra hard is we, we get into this profession or we get into this trade because we love trees. But, you know, our love for trees could potentially be weaponized against our businesses and against, um, against us, you know, if we're, if we're ignoring kind of the, the raw reality of the state of, of some of these trees. And it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know how it would happen, but, but as it sits right now, I feel that the, like the private sector tree industry, there's, there, uh, there's, there's a very, it's, 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 it's not in place to where you can get affordable tree work that's quality, retrain, retain trees that are dangerous, but also um, be operating in the standard of care that comes with being an arborist. And, um, you know, that kind of, you know, those, those, four, those four elements are oftentimes at, at war mm-hmm. with, with each other. And that's what, that's what makes it so hard. It's like, I love trees. I want to be truthful. I want to, um, you know, mitigate the potential risk to life, limb and property. Um, but, but at the same time, I want to live in like, you know, imagine, so you mentioned my old neighborhood of Southwest Colorado Springs. Um, imagine if that uh, golden standard of, tree risk evaluation was being applied to every one of those trees. There wouldn't be any trees left. No one would no. want to go there. Yeah. So same thing like, with Montrose. Yeah. And I mean, the city here is vying for you to maintain and, and keep heritage trees, but you know how much rot is in an 80 or 90 year old silver poplar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In, in fact, um, year ago i was asked to come out and look at a tree very very sparse crown probably one third canopy only right of what it should have huge sections of dead the tree grew out a natural inclination a lean and it's got good tension and compression wood so it didn't worry me about its growth pattern does that make sense right but what did worry me is that there is a long extending opposing branch, a lead that's almost horizontal growing out over the road. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they wanted it removed Mm. because it was becoming a hazard. Big chunks were falling off of it and, you know, and they, but the client did not want to pay for the tree to be removed. Yeah. And that's, that's another, you know, that would probably be the fifth metric is, um, you know, a lot, a lot of these trees limping them along is a lot less expensive than the removal, even if it is inevitable. And sometimes the trees are so old that basically if you can just not own the property by the time it's so severe that the tree needs to be removed for like immediate danger, um, then you got to enjoy the tree. And, you know, there's, you know, sometimes, a five or five figure tree removal that you can just pass on to the next person. Yeah. Well, in my case, I've found a couple out here that are, yeah, well up into the five figures, you know, because of difficulty and danger because don't, don't be fooled. I, I charge an extra premium for danger, you know, Oh, you Um, people out here, they call me out and they want me to look at an Aspen tree and I tell them, look, it's dead. And so we're talking about a sizable aspen tree, maybe 30 inch DBH. Okay. Oh, that is, that's a big aspen. Yeah. There's a few around here. Not many, but there's a few. A lot of them are only like 22, you know, and they're they're so sketchy and they're, they're sketchy as it is. Yeah. But then I say, look, this tree has one third of its branches that are producing. The rest are all dead. That thing Mm -hmm. needs to come out. Yeah. You know? And they're like, well, I don't want it to go yet because, you know, you tell them the price and that inevitably is the reason. Yeah. And then they call you out a year later. And I'm like, well, 
the price just went up and they're like, well, why? And I'm like, you know, how, that thing's been dead a year. You know how sketchy this Aspen tree is now? Yeah. That's, you know, that's another, that reminds me, always put an expiration date on your bids. Yeah, <laughs> I do. 30 or, days on every bid. Or some kind of a clause. Um, because, you know, things could happen even overnight, it would, although it'd be rare yeah. um, in the storm or something like that. So all these things that you're talking about, all these different um, things running through our head, people we want to please, trees that we want to retain, jobs that we want to get, money that we want to make, um, a standard of care and integrity that we want to operate in, they're all worrying, they're all worrying for basically our, our judgment. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's, it's so hard, or at least it, it, it has been hard for me, uh, particularly, I don't deal with this stuff anymore so much on an individual level, but I remember, you know, doing those tree bids, you know, all those different factors were, were kind of trying to take down the, the rational judgment that I knew mm -hmm. like deep with deep within my, my head was the right call for, for this or that tree and the integrity aspect and standard of care has to win and yeah. making the economics work within your own business. Like that was, you know, for me, I ran the tree service only for four years, but I think making the economics work to where I could appease all those different voices in my head, that took the life of the tree service to be able to do. Yeah, and, it's hard. And every, and every time you grow, it gets, it gets harder. And, you know, the more overhead you have, it gets, it gets harder because the, um, the uh just the 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 downsides of not being able to appease the economic voice in your head mm -hmm. like the um, the the downsides of that or the ramifications get worse and worse and worse for your fi the financials of the business yep. and all this different stuff um so thank you for your insights we we've actually got a lot more insights to talk about with the whole liability thing and and potentials of what might be uh, a, a possible liability for us as arborists in other segments. And we'll talk about that in other episodes. Um, I'm, I'm good, sad man. it took us so long to get together to record an episode, but I'm all, I'm super stoked that we finally were able to. Yeah. Worth the wait. No yeah, doubt. totally. And glad that it's going really well for you at your um, new career path. And I got to tell you people, Levi has been one of the biggest influences for me and just motivators for me to, to keep trying to, to become an innovator in the industry, to keep up with my podcast and stuff just through conversations we've had on the phone. So I, I appreciate your support a huge amount, man. Oh, thanks for saying that. And uh, thanks for reaching out and, and um, asking for it or making yourself available to receive it. Yeah, well, really thank you for it. sharing. Levi's the one that introduced me to Ed Gilman. If you haven't looked up Ed Gilman, I'll put a link in the bottom of the description um, of this podcast. Go check out his videos on the University of Florida's website. Yeah, you will learn something. Stuff. Yeah, it yeah. is. So before we before we leave, we're going to do this a little bit backwards than normal, but that's all right. It just flowed this way. What is your product that you want to review? You know, it's it's funny. Um, it's funny as, so I've, I've stepped away from climbing and I honestly just don't, even though like climbing was kind of my world for, you know, three, four years there or my early uh, working life. Um, it's like the things that came to mind as being like, oh, what's that product that just made my life so much easier? It was more of the small things that aren't very expensive necessarily than the big things. And I, I loved my, my, so this is not what I'm going to review, but I loved my tree motion light saddle that I got. And, um, uh, that served me really well pruning big shade trees. Like we talked about, which was kind of my niche there. Um, it was, I felt the best saddle for the way that I approach those trees, but my life was, um, maybe per dollar improved the greatest percentage when I went ahead and just paid the 35 bucks to put the comfort back pad on it. That was one of those things like, 
you know, you strap on the saddle and it's like, wow, I, uh, I have suffered needlessly for some time now. Yeah. And so what were some of the pros and cons to that saddle? I mean, to that back pad, were there any big pros that reach out to you or any big pro cons that somebody might find as an annoying thing? Well, I will say this, it, uh, it installs easily. You just Velcro it on if I'm not mistaken or haven't, um, misremembered that, uh, and it stayed in place that I didn't have to adjust it, but the, the kind of value point for me is that I wanted to be able to cinch up my harness in the tree, which you could not do like the newest tree motion. I haven't been following this stuff lately. This might be fixed. But if you remember the original full tree motion, um, it was a it was a buckle that was at a fixed length, and either it was buckled or it wasn't. So the, one of the reasons that I wanted the tree motion light is I wanted it to be lighter because lightness was important to me and the kind of work I was doing. But I also um, wanted to be able to cinch it up in the tree without having to break those, you know, break that big safety rule and unbuckle the saddle in order to kind of you know feed more thread through and get a tighter fit so i was able to have the upsides of the tree motion light but with the comfort of um you know the original tree motion yeah uh, with this pack pad i think they call the original one the ansi version or something and this one's the tree motion evo the newest one. Oh yeah and, and it has like two bridges and all this stuff yeah I'm, I'm climbing on the evo so i've got the two bridges and all that stuff and oh nice of course i always want to give Big shout out once again to Weaver Arborist and also Gap Arborist Supply. Guys out in Gap, Pennsylvania, doing really good. Huge shout out to Levi for taking time out of his day to come and chat with us here on the episode. And if all my audio went well, then we will have this up on the internet for next week. All right. Well, thanks, Eric. All right, man. We will see you next time, brother. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you next time. I'm... Uh...